I woke up this morning and my mind was kind of all over the place. You know, it's not very often that the church we come together or for me individually to come together and bring a word from God's word and the gospel just hours after an election like we've had. So my mind's racing and it's kind of all over the place and I'm like, well, should I change anything? And I kind of just got to a place where God just had to hit the pause button. He slowed me down. And he's like, you know what? We've been going through these churches in Revelation. And we're going to get to the church of Sardis in just, just a minute here. But before we get there, I just felt this heavy impression on my heart to look ahead into Revelation chapter 4, where John gets this vision and revelation of God's throne room. And so I'm going to read Revelation chapter 4 for us. Because in this time, it's so important that through all of this, whatever's going on in your life personally, or whatever's going on around us, that our God is in control, and he is on his throne. And he rules supreme there. And so let's just be ushered into continued worship in Revelation chapter 4. And it says this. It says, After I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet. God's voices were counted like a trumpet. And it said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Verse 2, at once I was in spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, a rainbow resembling an emerald encircling the throne. God's presence, so amazing, so awesome, so holy that there's not even a person to be seen. These colors are like a rainbow, so bright. Meshing together, verse 4, surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbling and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne... There was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. So around this throne are these, this thunderstorm, these flashes of lightning, and this, this sea-like glass. This is huge and awesome and holy. And in the center around the throne, four living creatures, and as they were covering their eyes in front and back, verse 7, the first living creature was like a lion, the second like an ox, and the third had a face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. 
They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So perhaps before we get into continued worship now, we just need to be reminded how awesome, how holy, maybe how terrifying God's throne is. That he rules and reigns supreme there right now. God, thank you for this grandeur of your holiness to be taken aback even with the lives and the craziness going on around us. But to have our lives here and now be put in perspective with this eternity in mind, with your awesome, incredible, holy, grand throne where you do rule right now. God, I pray that we would be humbled. I pray that we would dive into your word. I pray that you would challenge us right now wherever we are, and I pray that we would grow to love you a little bit more today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, welcome. It is so glad to have you guys joining. Obviously, this rain, um, this is a Saturday night. This rain is keeping us inside, but that's okay. We can still be here and we can still dive into scripture together. And we've been in Revelation, an interesting book, but in Revelation lie these different letters to different churches that Jesus himself spoke to a bunch of different churches in unique ways wherever they were at, whatever they were going through. And today we're going to be in the church of Sardis, which is in Revelation chapter 3. And so if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them to Revelation chapter 3. We'll get there in just a minute, but we're going to get into all this in just a moment. But the title of today for our sermon is Keeping Up Appearances. Keeping Up Appearances. And I'm just going to be honest for a second here. Maybe more than a second. It's really hard for me right now to even keep up with my appearances between me and you. You see, on top of all this election stuff that's going on, for me personally lies a lot of hurt. Totally unrelated. Just, just moments before couple hours ago, I was made aware of some very, very dear and close people in my life that are hurting in ways that I can't imagine and going through so many things. And my heart hurts and they break. And maybe you are at a place where you're looking at the world around you and you're like, I, I get it. All this matters and it's, and it's big and it's important, but I am hurting right now. This hurts. I'm going through something. Maybe someone close to me is hurt. And so even though we're going to be talking about this idea of keeping up appearances, I'm just going to be very honest and transparent with you that this is going to be probably very difficult for me to get through. A lot has happened, but I think this is what's so amazing about Scripture and God's Word is that wherever we are, whatever we're going through, whatever happened, maybe even today, yesterday, this week, whatever it is, wherever we are, we can be encouraged and challenged and reminded of God's amazing love and His life change that can take place in my heart and in yours as well. 
And so we may struggle through this, but it's going to be good, I promise. There may be at points where you, maybe I might cry, I don't know. That's just the day that it's been. And that's okay. Because this is tough. Following Jesus is tough. Being reminded of his goodness like faith just did through the musical worship is tough when you're going through something that maybe seems like God is not present, God is not good. And that is why we opened with the throne room. And so with all that being said, so glad to have you join us. And we are going to be in Revelation chapter 3, looking at the church of Sardis. The church of Sardis was a, was a unique one, and I'm going to get, get into a little bit of a background for us, but it's, it's one of seven different churches, one of seven different churches that is written to in Revelation. Now, all seven of these churches, as you're going to see by this map up here, all seven of them are all actually relatively close to each other. And so this is a, this is a blow up or a zoom in on what is modern day Turkey. All right, we've got Rome and Italy over here, and so this is the Mediterranean, um, and so this is a very small area when you actually look at it. And this is a unique area because uh, Israel, um, Israel is down here, or what, um, what uh, Jerusalem would have been down here. And what's significant about this area is the world was kind of spreading. The center of the world as they knew it was kind of spreading, which had been this big Roman empire. And the Christians were now moving into the Roman empire. And the good news of the gospel was spreading toward into or up into Europe as we know it today. And so that's why these churches are significant. What had once been centered in Israel and Jerusalem down here was now spreading north and northwest and, of course, east and south as well. And so that's why this is so significant. And so these seven letters are written to seven churches, and this is Sardis right here. And again, this, was mo- this is modern-day Turkey is where this is. And so Sardis was a unique place. It had a unique background. They had a, a very unique uh, 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 economy there. In fact, they were known, their trades were known for dyeing delicate woolen clothes and carpets. They had all the best clothes. They were known for that. They were perfect. They were fine. They were expensive. They had all the good-looking clothes. And along with that, if you can imagine, this was actually where they they learned to separate gold and silver in a really, really pure way. And so basically, what, what, what does that mean? It means that the gold back then would have been more valuable with less silver in it. It's actually the home of modern currency. It's actually known as the home of modern currency. And so there they could separate the gold and the silver to have the finest gold available to the world. So that you knew if you got clothes in Sardis, they were expensive and valuable and nice. And if you got gold there, it was more valuable than everywhere else. And now we can maybe see why we get this theme of keeping up appearances because appearances would have been huge. In fact, as I did some research, uh, they've, they've done some uh, excavations there and, and they, found, um, they found a temple there or a, um, um, a, a place where Christians would have come to worship and on it, they found all of these inscriptions. And I was like, oh, this is so interesting. It's probably like, you know, prayers and worship songs and stuff like that. And they found all these inscriptions. And as they looked at them, they were not related to scripture. No, 
They were the names of the biggest donors to the synagogue. They were all about the appearances. They had the most oppressive, impressive. This, this was a synagogue that could house or a, 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 a thousand people could come and worship in. This was big. It was grand. It was impressive. And so this is the context where Jesus starts addressing the church that would have been there. The church that would have been there. And so we're going to start there. Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Here we go. And we're going to slowly walk through this, and we're going to see some themes, and we're going to make some connections to where we are today. Verse 1, it says, To the angel of the church in Sardis write these things. These are the words of him, Jesus, him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, meaning that God is everywhere and he knows all things. There is not a being that he does not know about. There is not a place that he does not exist. And his first words, I'm the God of the seven stars and the seven spirits. And this is what he says. He says, I know your deeds. I'm thinking about this God that we just saw in the following chapter and his throne room. And that God, if you were to look at a church, our church, or my life, and the first thing he says, I know all of your deeds. That is a terrifying thought. I know everything you do in secret or in public, behind closed doors or out in front of everyone. I know your deeds. We're going to keep going. I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. What does this mean? This means that they looked like an impressive church. They were known as an oppressive church. They were known all the areas around them. They were known as this really impressive church. They had this reputation for being alive and active. Why? Because it's big. It's impressive. We can fill this big synagogue. We can fill all these churches. We look really good while we're doing it. Wow, look what they have at Sardis. But you are dead, God says. Now, this is actually a very similar very similar thing that actually if we look back and we look forward to those who have followed Jesus and trusted in God, this is sadly just another repetitive thing. Because we look back and Jesus addressed the Pharisees actually in Matthew 23. I just talked about this with the students the other night. The Pharisees, Jesus goes, you're, you're, you're hypocrites. You're obsessed with the outside, the exterior, not the inside. He says, you guys are like these these dirty bowls. These dirty bowls uh, that, that we eat and there's all that scum and grime and leftover food on the inside and it's disgusting. And to, to clean that dish, you wipe down the outside, but you never touch the inside. Now, now, if we were to do that with our dirty dishes, like that's asinine, that's crazy. There's no way we would do that. That's, that's gross. But in a similar way, he's like, you guys are like whitewashed graves. You have these impressive-looking tombstones, but really what lies underneath there are these dead bones. The outside looks impressive, but the inside is dead. And so for our first point, we are going to turn, we are going to turn inside. And this is actually 
a slow process that I've been walking through for a very, very long time. And to be very, very clear, I am still trying to walk through this. And it's answering this question. Are you or am I, am I nurturing my affection towards Jesus? Are you nurturing your affection towards Jesus? Because affection starts on the inside and works its way out. The process, a nurture's definition, is the process of caring for and encouraging the growth or development of someone or something. Are we taking care of, if we say we follow Jesus, if we say we are a Christian, are we taking care of the way that we view him? Because as things happen around us, maybe they've been really, really tough. I've, I, I'm not going to go into any details of the specifics of today, but it's been a very, very tough season for me, as many of you know. And you going through many of your own things. And it's so important, I've found, is this, this actually very, very tough process of nurturing my affections towards Jesus. What do you mean by that? It means that as we enter this relationship, just like spouses enter a relationship with each other, you have to constantly work how you view them. Because there's going to be good days and there's going to be bad days. And at the end of the day, you have to know, you know what? I know that this person cares about me and loves me. And so at the end of the day, I know this last year has been so tough. And I knew, you know what? I know what the Bible says. I know that God loves me. I know that he has grace. I know that he's forgiven me. I know he's going to take care of me. I know he has a future for me. All of these things. But I just don't feel that right now. And so I would set out on very, very long walks. Why? Because my love language is quality time. One of my love languages is quality time. And I knew that in a season where it was so difficult, I couldn't open scripture. In a season so difficult, I couldn't sing a single worship time, a worship song. I had to put myself in a place to just spend time with God. And so I would go and I would walk sometimes for hours. And I would listen. And I'd vent. And I'd cry. And I'd work through things. And I would get things off my mind. And I'd say things, I'd say how things are going. And in this process, healing slowly became a reality. Are we nurturing our affections towards Jesus? Because the church of Sardis, they, they, they simply were too concerned about other people, what other people thought of them, rather than what they were thinking about God and giving towards him and surrendering towards him. Now the good news is he doesn't just leave them there. He says you are dead. This is a pretty, pretty harsh start to things. But it doesn't end there, and so we'll keep going. And here's the deal. Even when we obsess over ourselves and our appearances, we have hope. And even when we take God off his rightful throne, he's on this, we just read about this throne, but even when we, when we take him off of there and put other things above him, he still offers us grace. Verse 2. Verse 2. Wake up. All right, so you have the reputation for being alive, but you're dead. So wake up 
Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Which leads us to a very encouraging next point. That it's, this, isn't, this isn't some like, oh, this is an amazing thought that Dan has. No, this is right here in Scripture. And it's that even in the mess, God is not done with you. That even in this mess, even though they had this reputation for being alive, but inside are totally dead, even though all that's the case, they have all their nice clothes, they've got all their gold, they've got all their nice facilities, even in all of this, God goes, I am not done with you. Even in the mess, God is not done with me and with you. This is the friction that exists in our lives. Oftentimes, we take advantage of this overwhelming grace and we go, oh, God's so good, and we come to him, and this is amazing. And then things start happening, and we get more money, and other things start rolling in, and things falling into place, and you're like, oh, yeah, you know, God's good, but yeah, I'm just going to go do this. This is the constant friction that God has called me and called you to follow him, and it's always going to be this difficulty of looking good for the world or ultimately loving God, loving Jesus. And oftentimes we, we take advantage of this overwhelming grace offered us and just prioritize other things. We prioritize what's going on in the world around us. And we miss out. And slowly but surely we are decaying from the inside out, much like this church in Sardis. Now, this was really interesting for me because this has actually been pretty consistent throughout all of history with those who followed God. We see this in the people of Israel. We see Isaiah, well, first off, they they enter the promised land and King David ushers in this new community, this new place where they can worship and they can worship freely. And what do they do with that? they take advantage of it and start living their own lives. And so ultimately Babylon comes in and they're taking them away. And even in this mess, even though the, what they once had was all good and their future is now looking bleak because they've been taken over, they've been ransacked, their, their homes, their communities have been destroyed and they're being taken away to another country. Isaiah reminds them in Isaiah 43, he says, he says, hey, God's not done with you. Good things are still going to happen. He's going to redeem you. Yes, you're going to pay for your sin, but it's going to get better. And, and, he, and, he, and he reminds them and encourages them of all of these things. But unfortunately, there's other things that take place. In Isaiah 43, verses 22, it says, even in all of this, he encourages them. He goes, hey, good things are going to happen. God's going to redeem you. Um, he's going to take care of you. He's going to provide for you. Your children are going to be taken care of. Don't worry. Even in the midst of this, verse 22, it says, yet you have not called on me. You have not wearied yourselves with me. You have not brought me sheep for burnt offerings, nor honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with grain offerings, not wearied you with demands for incense. Meaning, what does this mean? It means that God did not go, hey, I require all these things of you. I just want you to do them for me. 
I just want you to love me. I just want you to have affection for me and care about me like I care for you. You've not brought any fragrant offerings for me or lavished on me the fat of your sacrifices, but you have burdened me with your sins and wearied me with your offenses. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions. I am the one, God says, I am the one that is forgiving you. And for my own sake and remorse, your sins no more. Unfortunately, this trend continues on into Jeremiah as well. Where they're now, Babylon's being taken care of or being taken over, and there's actually another transition that's going to be taking place. And again, there is this promise of, of redemption, of, of, of prosperity, of looking forward. In fact, in Jeremiah 29, 11, we all love this verse, and we could probably all say it together, because at every graduation and on every mug and on every t-shirt, we find it. And it says, Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. God's got a plan for me, no matter what it looks like. God's got a future for me. This is awesome. He's going to prosper me. He's not going to harm me. He's going to give me a hope. And if he, this is amazing. Great. God, all God, cool. And we always turn back to this verse, regardless of what we're doing or how we choose to live. And we go, no, 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 no. God's got a plan for me. Ironically, we don't go into the next couple verses, which make this a little complicated. Verse 12, it says, well, first, let me read this again. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart, and I will, f and I will be found by you. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I'll bring you back from captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and places where I've banished you, declares the Lord, and I'll bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. And here is where this gets really tough for us. Our final point is the Lord's gracious gift of prosperity is contingent on our willingness to repent. And we see this to the church in Sardis as well, verse 4 in Revelation 3. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. Again, they were known for their fine garments. This isn't random. God doesn't speak to us. He doesn't speak to his, pe uh, his people ad hoc or random. These are very specific people that he's speaking in a specific way. There's a couple of you who have not soiled your garments, and they will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will like them be dressed in white. And I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but I will acknowledge the name before my father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The Lord's gracious gift of prosperity is contingent on our willingness to repent. We see this. In verse 3, it says, hey, or on verse 2, it says, wake up. Verse 3, it says, remember what you've received and heard. And at the very end, verses, verse 6, it says, whoever has ears, let them hear. Why does he say this? He says, because all of us have ears and all of us need to hear this. 
But even Jesus knows that there's going to be a lot of us tuning in way later or people at this church in Sardis. They were going to have ears and it was going to go in one ear and right out the other. Why? Because this is hard. It's hard to follow Jesus. It's hard to acknowledge the messiness that is inside. It's hard to look at that dirty dish and start scraping out the grime and the food in there. It's hard to deal with the skeletons and the rottenness and the pain inside. And so we maybe run, maybe we ignore it, maybe it comes in one ear and out the other. And so this, this actually, believe it or not, believe it or not, this, this letter to the church of Sardis is actually very, very encouraging and amazing. Because even though they had this reputation for being dead, even though they were struggling, God's like, I am not done with you. Guys, I don't know about you, but that is exactly what I need to hear right now. No matter what's happened, no matter what your year, what your day has looked like, God is not done with you. However, if we were to accept this, we need to remember his gracious gift of prosperity and lead us and take care of us is contingent on our willingness to repent. Follow me. Believe in me. Trust me. Now this all kind of comes back to, again, this inside and this this nurturing our affections towards Jesus. Rather than keeping up with the appearances around us, rather than worrying what other people think, caring for how we view our Savior. And I'm reminded it's so popular for us to, uh, we always tackle our marriages with the love languages, right? We all have these love languages, and this was really popular and still kind of is, because why? This is how we show love, and this is how we receive love. And what's amazing about this is like, hey guys, we're made in the image of God. Could it be that he would send love and receive love in the same way that we do? This is, this is what he's trying to say. You're, you're made in my in- image. Simply care for me. Love me. Spend time with me. Prove it. Show me. This is what, this is what uh, couples have to do constantly. You need to be reminded of, hey, I know that I receive love this way, but I need to remember that someone else receives love another way. And so maybe, maybe for us, this is where we just need to be today. Because this is going to look differently. For me, I, again, I just at this place, it was so difficult to open scripture, to, to, to sing worship songs. I'm like, okay, how do I still take care? How do I still love Jesus even though I, I don't feel like I do, even though I can't feel like I have any capacity in me to do that? How can I? And so I would go on these long walks. Maybe for you it's a similar thing. Maybe it's these long walks. Simply taking time to be with him. Guys, these weren't, this wasn't like stacks of commentaries with my perfect worship music on over here with like just the perfect ambiance outlooking a perfect ocean. This was my perfect quiet time. No, these were messy. 
I'm in, I was in who, who knows what I was wearing, walking the, the neighborhood streets of Escondido where I live, sometimes late at night. And that's what I had, so that's what I gave. For some of you, you guys are gift givers. Perhaps you could give gifts. We see this all over scripture, guys, and this is the time with the country, the way that it is. Perhaps we could just care for those around us, love those that have needs. And so maybe we just need to take a look at closely at the interior right now. That regardless of what happened, what, what our lives have looked like, even if it's just, even if today has been messy, maybe yesterday has been messy, Maybe we're dreading tomorrow. Maybe we're dreading work on Monday, whatever it is. Maybe we're terrified of the future. That we can take this time and stop obsessing over what's happening on the outside and take care of what's what's on the inside, our affections and love for Jesus. Because when we do that, we do get this promise and hope of prosperity, not harm, of hope and a future. That I now, I get up here, guys, and it's still very difficult. But I have hope for what's coming ahead. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what that looks like for each one of us or for myself. But I know that as long as I am here and I'm in this mess, that I can look to the inside and I can start going, you know what, God? I can start building up and I can start loving you a little bit more. Let's just do that today. And so I started these walks and I'd walk and I go, you know what? I think, I think maybe I'm a place where I can start singing worship again. And so I started, I started playing piano guys and it was rough and I'd miss all these notes and it sounded horrible. And some days I would just get it and I would beat all of the keys because I got so mad because it didn't sound good. But slowly but surely over time, I could, I could just, I wasn't singing yet, but I could just play. And I knew the words in my head. And so I'd play these worship songs. That was my, that is what I could give God. It's not impressive. It sounded horrible at times. But that's where I was and that's what I could give him. And so today, as we conclude, are you nurturing your affection towards Jesus? Are we going to learn from not just Sardis, but Christians and the people of Israel, our whole, the whole history past of following God? Are we going to learn from them and go, you know what? There's a lot going on, but what is the most important right now, Saturday night or Sunday morning, wherever we are, what is most important right now is for me to take care and to love Jesus a little bit more. And this is ultimately where we find our hope, you guys, as um, hopefully you've had some time to take some communion elements because this brings us straight to the foot of the cross. And this is our hope that even in this mess, God is not done with you, that there's still forgiveness, there's still hope if we repent. If we come to the foot of the cross, and the, at the throne room, it had these people where they throw their, they throw their thrones, they throw what they've earned, they throw everything they have at the foot of Jesus. They go, take it. You deserve it all. And so as we go into communion, and maybe you have some elements at home, maybe you don't. Hey, communion was started around a dinner table. 
doesn't have to be this huge fancy thing. Maybe you can just take time recognizing Christ's sacrifice, what he's given you, because he is not done with you if you're willing to humble yourselves and start cleaning up the middle. You guys, this is difficult and hard. I've approached the, the foot of the cross sometimes in anger, sometimes frustration. Sometimes it's very, very sad. And today, my heart is very, very sad. It's just where I am. There's people I know very, very closely that are hurting. There's people that are part of this church that are hurting, that I've known for a long period of time. There's people I've known for much, much longer that are hurting. And so today I'm sad. And on top of that, I still have the sadness of my whole last year, of all the first anniversaries that come up. Guys, this is just sad. So for me, I know this isn't where all of you are at, but for me, I'm just sad. Maybe you're angry. Maybe you're angry at God. Maybe you've just tried everything but him. You're like, you know, I don't want anything to do with him. So wherever we are today, as we go to communion, again, maybe you have your elements, maybe you don't. But we go there and we go for God, and we go to the foot of the cross and we go, Jesus, please help. Because on the inside, I'm a complete mess. I don't know what's going on and I need help. And even in this mess, difficulty and sadness, God goes, no, 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 I know, I know you're not going to be enough. I know you're not going to be good enough. Let me wash you clean. Let me give you these fresh robes, the messy dirtiness that you are. Let me give you a new hope and a new future. Even in the mess, God is not done with you and with me. Let's pray before we take communion. God, what you've done, what you've been doing, we can't fathom. This is so hard. Life is so hard. What's going on around us is so difficult. God, we're hurting. Some of us are suffering. Some of us are worried. Some of us are anxious. All of these things. And so right now, wherever we are, God, I just pray that you would come into our hearts. You'd come into the inside. You'd start cleaning up some of those things. And that you would do a work that only you can do. Come in, restore us, heal us, bring us joy, heal those wounds, take us places we never would have thought. We know that you will forgive us of all of our sins past, whatever circumstances we're in, maybe some horrible things have happened. Maybe it's very hard for us to trust any individuals on this earth, so I, I ask you that you would maybe consider trusting Jesus. You've been let down too many times. You've been hurt too many times. Maybe for some of you, you just haven't taken Jesus seriously. And you've got impressive looking lives. And you've got all the appearance, all the fine clothes, and all the, all the good things that look amazing. And you need to look at the priorities in your life. Wherever we are, God, I pray that you would start cleaning up our insides, that we would start, maybe for some of us, taking these long walks 
looking at our lives going, how, how, how can I love you, God? How can I look at you no matter what's going on? How can I love you a little bit more today? I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. I'm not going to worry about next week. I'm not going to worry about this whole next year. That's how can I love you a little bit more today? Because as we do that, we fall more and more in love with him. And we take these words serious. And it changes us. And not only do we love you more, but we love those around us more. Maybe that's one of the true miracles that takes place when we love Jesus more. God, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for giving me, thank you for giving Dan Goodham everything that I did not deserve. Thank you for giving me hope. Thank you for giving me spurts of joy in the midst of sadness. God, thank you for loving us in such an extravagant way that you'd give everything even for a dirty, messy person like myself. Help us to love you a little bit more. In Jesus' name.